Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonian, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to this episode of the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Drew Galloway. Drew is the executive director of Move Texas uh, and also a bagpipe player. We'll talk to him about that in a little bit. Uh, Move Texas was started in 2013 by some students at UTSA right here in San Antonio. Uh, The goal was to increase participation in local elections, and really I think it's largely been doing that by way of voter registration, and we're going to talk to Drew about that some. Drew, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Awesome to be here with you today. Yeah, I got to know about y'all through mutual friend Stephen Lopez when he was doing some fundraiser, and you know. Yep, Stephen's been with us for a couple of years now, and is now uh, serving as the board chair. Oh, I didn't know so that. He's yeah. Well, I won't hold that against you. Um, Stephen <laughs> will listen to this, and he'll give me his critiques on how uh, I did. He always does. Um, I start all these with kind of a top ten, give a little color to who I'm talking to. So I'm just going to walk you through some. They change every time. Let's go. All right. Uh, when and why did you move to San Antonio? Um, I uh, got a job with Tex, uh, with Specs Family Partners. Um, so <clears throat> I was working in the wine business. Uh, they reached out, uh, wanted me to do new market development for them, and uh, I came to San Antonio. What year was that? That was 2011. So new market, did that mean they were just starting to move in here? Mm-hmm. They had a, they had the store that was in the north part of the city, um, but uh, I, you know, helped work at that store and then opened the Days of Allah store and a couple others. And uh, The one close to me is the one by the airport, and it's mm. it's pretty sad. It's it's kind of tucked away under that bridge. Yeah. But and, you know, you go to the Specs in Houston, and they've got all the, you know, the bells and whistles and cheeses and meats, and you go to that one by the airport, and it's yeah, if you Yeah, if you go to the flagship store in Houston, you get spoiled. Yeah. All right, well, we'll take that up with Specs. <laughs> um, we're all doing our best to support right now. Things are strange. You were talking to me off, off the record about how you're doing some cooking, but are, are you doing any of the to-goes or the takeouts, the places that are trying to survive and we're all trying to help? Are there any that you have found, hey, they've got a great deal, I like supporting them? I did. We did uh, Playland yesterday, and it was, it was fantastic. So any, any of the places you've been frequenting? No, um, you know, there is, um, there's a little wine shop called Little Death uh, that is uh, right in, on sort of the St. Mary's Strip. Um, and so I've been frequenting them, just walk in, pick up a bottle of wine, just because uh, it's- You like live my, over there? Uh, no, I live on the southwest side. Um, and, uh, but, um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, that's my favorite wine bar in the city. So if you've never been to Little Death, you should go. Were you there when Stefan was cooking his um, Italian tripe? <sighs> no. Did I, you see it? No, I did not. Like, I was there. Really? So what? not only do I support, I went to there, and it was very uh, earthy flavored. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was tripe cooked in a ton of white wine, and they just turned it into a party. This was right before everything shut down. Wow. It was great. Yeah, no. Uh, I've thrown a couple happy hours, like personal and professional there. Love that place. It's like my favorite uh, little little bar in town. Also, you can grab a burger at Burger Boy and then go uh, get some wine. That's my favorite thing with wine is a burger, actually. Not the steaks and all that burger. Yeah, yeah. I try to be good and just drink wine, and then usually I have a couple glasses of wine and then go have the burger. So, 
I'm not going to tell you what I do. <laughs> um, favorite hidden gems in San Antonio. We're going to try to stick with this with everybody. Um, Ron brought up Denman Estate Park, which I had never heard of. Um, somebody else brought up Jack White Trail, which I'd never heard of. Um, to me, I think the, the the Japanese Tea Garden is definitely up there. What are some of your favorite hidden gems that if you have guests that come in, you say, okay, it's probably not in your little manual, but go check out this. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I will tell Thank you. you. I will tell you that my family loves Pearsall Park. Um, if you haven't been there, mm-hmm. um, it's amazing. Uh, it, I live literally five minutes away from that, if not if not closer. Um, Is and, it in Pearsall? Uh, yeah, it's right on Pearsall Road. Road. Huh. Uh, and uh, the trails are phenomenal. Um, you can do like a wooded trail or there's some hill, hills if you want to get it. Like south of 1604? Um, yeah, like where, uh, sort of like where you know, overseas Lackland, you can see the Boeing, huh, uh, okay. plant right yeah, there. Yeah, no, I didn't know yeah, about that. Love the place. It's great. It's got a All great right. kitty park too, uh, post, uh, quarantine. Is it open right now? No. Is it a city park? It is a city park. Okay. Uh, the trails are open. I don't think the playgrounds are. All right. Are you a reader? And if so, anything right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, I am a reader. I read a lot. I'm reading How to Be an Anti-Racist right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's a great book. Uh, Is it like one page long? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you just don't, don't be a racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, so I'm reading that. Let's see. Um, I, I recently, like a year or so ago, brought a book to move called Radical Candor, and I'm rereading that because we've got some new staff members on and stuff. Um, but that's another great sort of like business organizational book. Okay. Um, do you watch South Park? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like Radical Candor might have microaggressions <laughs> discussed in there somewhere, but I don't know. Um, all right. Who's your favorite bagpipe player? Oh, man, that's so that's such a hard question. Is there more than like six of them? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I'm gonna totally nerd out now. So when I so I've started playing bagpipes when I was 14 um, in Georgia, and uh, I loved Simon Fraser University, um, and which is in British Columbia, Canada. They were they alternate you know, with a couple other big pipe bands as like the world champions every year. But the pipe sergeant of that band is uh, Jack Lee. And uh, <laughs> so I get to see Jack Lee a couple times a year and I'm always like kind of giddy. Okay. Uh, and so, so yeah. So this is kind of the bait. Uh, one of the major reasons behind this podcast is there are so many people with these strange passions that are just, they're interesting to hear. So I wanted to do that. So mate, we're going to talk about bagpipes here in a little bit. Great. Are you a social media person? And if so, which is your favorite platform? Mm, that's a great question. I'm a forced social media person. Uh, so I have to, I do quite of it because of my work. Um, um, I would say, you know, my favorite, my favorite platform right now and or the last year has been TikTok. Um, okay. So if you All right. if you are on TikTok, it, it's the it's the way. Do that. you TikTok? Um, I do not. Okay. No. I am a voyeur esque uh, TikTok observer. So um, I've got, I have it. I've gotten on it a few mm-hmm. times. Have you ever heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was at some conference. He spoke and he starts talking about TikTok. I had never even heard of it. So I opened it. And now I've realized, I don't know, you swipe one way and you favorite them. You swipe another way, you get a new video. I don't really understand the process. So I think I've favorited a lot. And there's like a for you channel and then a following channel or something like that. So if you, yeah. Um, But, you know, uh, Move has a TikTok channel. And so like we're like 
building content for that. Now. Okay. So. Well, Gary Vaynerchuk said even lawyers should have one, and I don't, I don't know how that would work. If you want to talk to under 21-year-olds, that's where you do it at. I don't know if, you know, the wife would be real jazzed about yeah, me yeah. marketing to <laughs> under 21-year-olds um, or the law for that matter. All right. Outside of the pandemic, take that sort of veil mm -hmm. away right now. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing San Antonio? Um, I think that the uh, two biggest challenges facing San Antonio right now are equity and poverty, and that's only been sort of like elevated. The what do you mean by equity? Um, the fact that there's such, um, uh, even, you know, like we're, we're the most segregated, economically segregated city in the United States. Um, and so if you grow up in the neighborhood that I live in right now um, versus if you grow up, say, 15 miles to the north of here, uh, there's essentially a 15 to 20 year life. Difference. Or one mile to the east of here. Yeah. yeah. yeah totally. Or one mile to the west of here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, and so uh, I think that we can do more as a city to address that. Um, and poverty is like linked in with that. But, um, but yeah, I think that uh, I think that we can do a lot to address that. And that has been exasperated by this moment. You know, Mayor Nuremberg made a good point when he was on. We were talking about the opportunities of the pandemic. And one of the things he brought up was that it is going to give the city an opportunity to kind of rewrite our rule book because yeah. it has highlighted those problems, but it has also put so many people in the pot that they thought they were not in. So hopefully it'll allow attitudes to change and therefore policy to change. Yeah, absolutely. If it, it you know, if it happens to you or somebody that you, know or know and love uh it changes that uh perspective yeah um favorite fiesta event um hmm. i'm gonna be super basic and say battle of the flowers because typically it's the first so far yeah um i i you know, uh, for me, I typically work most of Fiesta um, or I do fundraising events or that kind of stuff. And so Battle of the Flowers is the tip is the first like morning off that I have. And I take my kids to the parade and that kind of stuff. Have you so, ever done Pooch Parade? Uh, no, but I have friends who actually have had dogs that have like won or like have like placed in it. And so anyone can have their dog in it, by the way. Yeah. So like, <laughs> oh, okay, if, so, well. if you've got a friend who's like, my dog was in it, that just means they walked in. The they parade. just walked yeah. in. Okay. Great. It's a cool event. Um, yeah, my dog, <clears> a is morning totally, event, cool event, kid friendly. My dog is not capable of that. Uh, so like she's, she's a very good dog, but not, uh, not to the quality of the pooch parade yet. Mm. So. Mine probably wouldn't do well. Cause he's just going to bark at all the dogs. Yeah. But I mean, but he's a good looking dog, so yep. he could probably win it. Um, a lot of what y'all do is voter registration. Um, you do not have a voter registration history background as a human being. I mean, you went to the Culinary Institute, you did wine, yeah. then you slur you kind of had this circuitous path to get there. Once you got into voter registration and voter engagement, what's sort of been one of the more surprising um, demographic sort of groupings or behaviors that you have seen that you thought, wow, I would have never expected this? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think that the biggest misconception that I hear all the time is that young people don't care about this. You know, like you're, you're talking to, like they will tell me that I'm talking to a very thin uh, group of people. And that's not necessarily the case at all. Uh, we see that like, you know, if they, uh, if we engage them, um, tell them why their vote matters, that kind of stuff, we can 
move them from unregistered voter to registered voter to active. Um, and what's the harder thing there, moving them to registered voter or moving them from registered voter to someone who actually votes? I would think the latter. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, um, you know, like for the most part, it takes only a couple minutes to get registered. Uh, you know, um, in this moment with COVID-19, it takes much, much longer yeah. because we can't actually see people. Uh, but if, we, if it was normal times, uh, you know, I could register you in a couple minutes. But it really does take some significant work to get a registered voter to um, the polls. Uh, the average, uh, at least for MOVE and most youth organizations, is somewhere between six and eight touches. Um, and that includes text message, phone call, uh, door knock, um, potential like mail drop, that kind of stuff. It's just such a st- sort of strange dichotomy because – the passion level among those age groups is so high, yet their going to the polls is so low. And then you take like the maybe elderly whose go to the poll is very high, but their passion level is way less. It's just kind of a strange dichotomy in that world. Yeah, it's really like a habit is what it is. Uh, voting at itself is a habit. So like um, it's like it's like going to the gym. Um, it's sort of like uh, that's the way I see like sort of you know, established elderly voters as they've been going to the gym for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then they just go do it. They might not be, it might not be like, oh my God, I've got to go to the gym, but it's kind of like, I'm just going to the gym because this is what I do. Um, And then it's the new, the new voter is the folks that are like, we're trying to get to go to the gym twice this week. And so, uh, and so it, what we really do is focus on vote three times. And then studies show that that person is like, almost a lifelong voter. Um, But we've got to get them to vote in a city election, a state election, and a federal election. Okay. Like back to back to back. All right. So that's what we're going to talk about um, for a little bit. And then as we get close to running out of time, I'm going to talk to you about bagpipes because it's my show and I think it's interesting. Um, Okay. So what is MOVE and how is MOVE different than Thrive and some of these other voter registration groups? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So the so move is an acronym and most people don't realize that so it stands for mobilize organize vote and empower um and it was uh even though we're like one of the largest youth organizing groups and youth voter registration groups in the nation now um it was started by these like seven students at the university of texas at san antonio so we're homegrown are they still involved yeah we've uh our advocacy manager alex bernal is one of the founders and so uh And um, so, you know, it's one of those things of like these students came together in 2013 and said, how can we get get more involved, especially in city politics? But like, how can we get more involved, get more of our peers voting, that kind of stuff? Um, And so they decided we're going to, you know, form this student organization at UTSA called Mobilize, Organize, Vote and Empower. And so they they formed it uh, and they were like, we're going to register people to vote. We're young people. We're going to teach them why voting matters and like what and link issues that they care about to like to voting. And uh, then we're going to do cr- uh, like the crazy, most crazy visible things we can possibly do to make voting uh, fun, engaging, cool. And so uh, they registered a thousand people in 60 days at, mm. at UTSA. Um, and uh over the course of that uh, that 2013 city election is uh, when they really worked out a lot of the early model on dressing in banana suits and putting like our robot like cardboard costumes on and throwing parties at the polls and uh, things like that yeah. where we were like 
we are going to make voting uh, fun and engaging for young people and not just this like um, sort of like top down narrative of like something you got to do. Like the one thing that we have learned is that uh, the sort of like it's your civic duty narrative is actually detrimental to like <laughs> voter turnout for <laughs> young people. Like And young like, people being 35 and younger. Yeah, I would say 30, 35 or yeah. younger. Mm -hmm. okay. And so we deal with like that entire spectrum of young people. Um, it's nonpartisan. Nonpartisan. Okay. Yep. Um, ha, ha, I'd ask, but I'm going to go back to it. How, how are y'all, how do y'all separate yourself? How are you different than some of the other kind of young person voter registration groups that are in Texas? Yeah, we're youth led. Um, we're hyper grassroots. So, um, you know, uh, it, we believe that young people are powerful um, and we believe that they can make a massive difference in essentially all levels of government. But we're really working with new first, second, third time voters. And the best way to show them that power is by getting them involved at the city level um, or regional level and getting them and showing them that they can have a voice. So if they show up to county commissioners court at Bear County, um, most likely they will be like, you know, if they, if we can mobilize 15 people on an issue there, that's, that is a giant like turnout for Bear County Commissioner's Court. Cause like your average large groups, um, are not paying attention to that like hyper level local. So thing. if you're non nonpartisan, how do y'all decide what specific issues you can and cannot get involved in? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. So, uh, nonpartisan to us means independent. So we don't endorse parties. We don't endorse candidates. Um, that kind of thing. We do, uh, work on issues. Um, and, uh, issues are like, we identify those like city by city that we work in, um, you know, and so when I joined move, it was just in San Antonio, I joined in 2016. And, um, and so we were moved San Antonio at that point, we were on about 10 campuses. Uh, and, uh, but in 20 late, early 2018, uh, we began growing, we went to Laredo, and then to Seguin and San Marcos, and in Austin. And then in 2019, we went to Dallas and to Houston. So we're now in seven cities, 55 campuses. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, you know, six field organizers that are doing this work day in and day out um, with advocacy folks as well. And then within the issues, are, are y'all advocating for issues related to access to voting? I mean, is that sort of, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Driving is nonpartisan. They can't support, but they do support safe road drunk driving issues. Are y'all's almost all about involvement in voting? Yeah, we're at our core a voting rights issue. We also uh, advocate for like young people's issues, student issues. So we've done work around, um, uh, pulling locations on college campuses. Our very first issue we got involved in was the non-discrimination ordinance in San Antonio. Um, so equality, access, all of that stuff is things that we work on. And we're doing a ton of like climate work now, some criminal justice work. Who decides what issues to get involved in? Uh, that's decided at like the local level. Um, so like we might, be, we might be doing a lot of like say, uh, you know, immigration justice work in Laredo and San Antonio, but in Dallas we'll, we're doing some housing work and some climate work and that kind of stuff. Okay. And so it's really tailored to the students that we work with. And we've, that, I think that's what sets us apart from some of the other like sort of like top down national organizations uh, is that we listen to young people, we put them out front and then uh, we show them the power that they have. So does each um, individual sort of group get to decide what issues they want to get involved in or does it have to get vetted? 
Um, it, you know, like we obviously have a process for like issue screens and that kind okay. of stuff. Um, so that we don't like sort of like, college kids can be crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things they care about yeah. uh, and we can't do everything. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it is one of those things of like, we, uh, we do our best to like be responsive. Um, but at our core, we are a voting rights group. I mean, we, we got started with but you know, expanding voter registration and we're working on vote by mail right now and lots of other things. How did you get involved? That's a great question. So, um, I, uh, I landed in San Antonio in 2011. Um, and I got really deeply involved in the non-discrimination ordinance. Uh, like, you know, I was working at specs, loved working in the wine industry, got deeply involved in the non-discrimination ordinance. Uh, and, was like, I love this. And so I started interning like outside of college with uh, then Bear County Commissioner Tommy Atkinson. And so I was like, I want to do this. This is, I'm going to make this pivot. And so I pivoted out of the wine industry and into um, civics by going to UTSA. Uh, I studied pol uh, public administration there. And I ran into all these political science students uh, who had started uh, MOVE. UTSA. Huh. And so uh, we had classes together. We knew each other. I went to Washington, D.C. as a Bill Archer fellow and worked mm -hmm. in the White House. Um, and uh, and then I came back. I landed at UT Austin at the Annette Strauss Institute for Civic Life. And I did some did, ran their millennial programming there. Um, and uh, I got a call one day from uh, Hannah Beck, who was the first ED of MOVE. Uh, and oh, I didn't know she ran that. Yeah. Okay. She was one of the founders and uh, oh. now sits on our board. And so, uh, so Hannah was like, we're looking for a new ED. Uh, you know, are you interested? And I applied. I was uh, super fortunate that they selected me. And uh, I started in April 2016. Um, it was me and a field organizer, mm. two fellows and two interns. Our budget that year and a presidential election was $90,000. I mean, that's not bad for a first year. I, well, yeah. By that time, we'd been three years operating. Um, but yeah, like it was, you know, for us, that was a that was a big, it was a big year. We still registered 8,500 people with, mm -hmm. with essentially a two-person staff uh, and on a $90,000 budget. Um, and now, you know, we're seven cities, 55 campuses, 22 employees, um, full-time employees. Budget? Uh, 3.8 million. Nice. So. Are y'all 501c3? 501c3 and c4 okay so you have an advocacy arm uh the c4 we do all of our uh get out the vote and some advocacy work uh, okay under that um where do, what are the sources of funding uh, we're funded from a lot of like, uh, so sort of like national, state, local. Um, so a lot, of, we've got like a lot of like larger national foundations, family foundations that fund us. Uh, we've got statewide funders, uh, that fund us, uh, that uh, political donors, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, a lot of our like local, uh, like uh, donations come in from students, their parents, mm. professors. We have this program called Movement Makers that you can like be a monthly donor, and uh, and it's really really popular. Uh, do any of the political parties support y'all financially? No. Could they? Um, I don't know if they could illegally, uh, but uh, because like we don't have a pack or anything like that, um, and we're not interested in that. So so yeah, but but yeah. I was just wondering. I mean, if they're if if they're just saying, hey, it's in everybody's benefit to register voters, we know y'all are nonpartisan. Here's some money. They could do that, I think. But uh, probably they don't. Probably could, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. they want to go register their people. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, talk to me about the funding. I mean, since you've been, y'all went from a 90000 to a $3.8 million budget. Talk to me just kind of generally about how does a small nonprofit like that with such a niche focus, um, you know, how do you increase your budget? $3.71 million <laughs> in four years. Yeah, uh, it was it was a struggle. Um, you know, I think that you know my first uh, my first year and a half was uh, a lot of relationship building, um, and um, you know, there for us there was a catalyst moment at the end of 2017 uh, where we knew that we had to grow um, because we were just like there's no way to grow the size of the budget and just stay in one city, um, and uh, so we had a donor, Michael Watts, uh, who was like super gracious. Uh, Previous guest of the show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he uh, he did a match with us, which was like the catalyst for growth. For huh. um, so um, he gave us a hundred thousand. If we could raise a hundred thousand out of the out of like our grassroots donors, we did it, um, and that propelled us into growing to Laredo and Seguin and San Marcos. And has he continued to support? Yeah, I you know I, I'm sure he's a supporter of yeah. us and and that kind of thing. What? How did he get involved in it? Um, we met through some mutual friends, uh, here in town, uh, Christian Archer, um, you know, and, a, an ex board member. Okay. So, so. Um, so that's still just 100,000 of a 3.8. I mean, is a lot of the money from this foundation money and, and yeah. nonprofit money? Yeah. Like, okay. uh, well, you know, and once we started to grow, like not only our geographic size and our, our sort of influence, um, and you know, that began to attract like larger national foundations that would, you know, like a budget of, you know, our second year budget of 2017 was one, uh, was 110,000. And oh, then, geez. yeah, and then we jumped up to, uh, I think it was 800,000 for uh, 2018 and then 1.4 for 2019 and 3.8 for 2020. Okay. So outside of COVID, um, talk to me, how do y'all, how do y'all go about registering people? What's the most successful way you found to register voters and sort of what is, what is your five-year goal in terms of expanding y'all's voter registration or avenues to register voters? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, our, we consider our folks uh, young Texans aged probably 17 through 35. Um, we do some high school work, so we talk to like 16, 17-year-olds. Um, but we, you know, at 17 and 10 months, you can get registered to vote. I think there's a misconception of, as well as like we are just a voter registration group, and we're really like a youth organizing group. Uh, voter registration is just the first step and the, one of the more visible steps sure. in that. Um, and so because of that, we work on college campuses, community college campuses, high schools, uh, vocational schools. We're also out in the community. Uh, we try to work uh, in like workforce uh, like sort of areas where like the folks that didn't go to college, you know, we can still talk to them and they're in that age group and have issues that they care about. And so um so yeah, so that's where we do most of our voter registration is in those early interactions. Um, and, you know, that could look like us presenting to classes on college campuses or us like, you know, at farmer's markets or we've... Uh, Setting up a booth in the square or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, a lot of times we just have canvassers that walk around with a clipboard yeah. and, and, and move Texas t-shirts and that kind of thing. Huh. And so like the great part about it is like seeing it pop up from fr friends and supporters on social media of like, I just ran into you you're like organizer yeah. and like they helped me change my address or whatever. And so <laughs> it's, it was, it was, it's great. So, uh, so yeah, because of that, um, it's, you know, I think we're, 
we're in a lot of different places. We diversify the places that we do do voter registration, but we also um, are, you know, we're evergreen. We're there every single, like we're on college campuses every single day. Um, We don't just like pop up three weeks before the election and try to get as many people registered as possible. It's, you know, like we're there, you know, during the summertime when it's So do all these campuses have a student um, chapter? Of move, some do, some okay. don't. Um, yeah, some some have like a group of like uh, engaged students. Uh, some are just like overseen by one of our field organizers, huh. and they just kind of go and like do vote registration. So there's different levels of sort of engagement across uh, uh, cha- uh, campuses. Like UTSA is like being our home campus is like highly engaged, has a student chapter, that kind of stuff. Um, or like maybe a new cha- a new school like uh, University of Houston has a cluster of students that are really engaged um, but not a chapter yet and is working towards that and stuff. So what's the long-term goal of MOVE? Um, We're building power for young people across Texas Um, and so I think we're doing that not only through like voter registration but it's the engagement and it's not only just electoral engagement but it's getting them involved in other aspects of that too and so uh, you know I think our you know our strategic plan shows that we want to have deeper conversations and become more of a transformational power building organization over the next three to five years. And we're going to do that by, you know, like, uh, you know, growing to areas that, you know, young people need, uh, like somebody to help like uplift their voice um, and where we can create spaces for young people to come together and power build together. Will there be an advocacy arm that includes, you know, picking candidates or endorsing candidates or is that something moves always going to stay out of? Yeah. Our current strategic plan actually uh, says no. Okay. Like um, is like, we aren't, we aren't interested right now in, um, in endorsing candidates or uh, advocating for that. So let's talk about some of the actual successes. Stephen was talking to me about sort of what they were able to accomplish, what you all were able to accomplish in uh, San Marcos recently. Uh, talk to me about that. Talk to us about sort of some of the real world examples. Then I'm going to talk to you all about, you know, being litigants and litigious and y'all's yeah. fights for opening up voting access and voting rights. But talk to us about uh, y'all's wins and successes in San Marcos recently. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so, uh, we, uh, went to San Marcos in 2018, um, and, uh, we began building at Texas state, um, like little by little, this is a perfect example of where we put a field organizer there that was overseeing not only San Marcos and Texas State, but also Texas Lutheran and Seguin. And, uh, but a small group of students came together. We uh, like hired fellows there the next semester, that kind of stuff. And these, these, the small group of students registered 6,500 students <laughs> at Texas State, uh, which has a population of 40,000 students yeah. on campus wow. um, uh, or that live nearby or commute in. And so um, what happened was uh, the elections department there p- only put a polling location at Texas State for three days, um, the first three days of early voting, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And probably in the past that would have been totally cool or yeah. whatever, but um, between us and other organizations that were doing uh, get out the vote work and just students being deeply involved in the 2018 election, uh, essentially like it, like day one, the line was three hours long, you know, and stayed that way from open wow. to close. Day two, three hours long. Day three, three hours long. So by day three, 
us, Texas Civil Rights Project, a couple other uh, organizations started calling on Hayes County commissioners to expand uh, voting at Texas State because um, otherwise students would have to go off campus, yeah. uh, take buses, that kind of stuff. Um, and originally it was like, nope, not going to do it. Um, and I think through the efforts on our part and the League of Women Voters and a couple other groups, uh, they ended up uh, changing their mind. They put uh, two extra days of early voting on that campus and uh, a, an election day polling mm. location on that campus, uh, an additional... 4,500 students voted during that time. Wow. And uh, and so, yeah, like it's one of those things of like now elected officials in Hayes County know they have to go talk to students at Texas State. And even in this last March election. There were some electoral changes in San Marcos, yeah, arguably like, as a result of this too. Yeah, I believe that like students had a major part in like, uh, you know, shifting the sort of representation and the narrative in that county for sure. Yeah, city council or commissioner's court, one of them had kind of a flip, didn't it? Uh, yeah, I think that. I think that they basically like yeah I mean the state Top house down. state house flipped uh, the uh-huh. the uh, county commissioners uh, went almost all uh, democratic I believe wow. uh, you know and that kind of thing for the city council too and so uh, but I think that's indicative of like young people being involved uh, being informed how do you convince them to stand in line for three hours uh, they can't sit still for three hours uh, yeah but I mean you know like. It was one of those things of like in March in this past uh, primary election, you know, uh, we had lines at UTSA and a couple other campuses here. And I was bouncing around town on election day, like watching those and everything. And uh, we, you know, our organizers were buying pizza and having like sodas and stuff because people can't like get out of line. It'd be like the rock and roll marathon. Yeah. Every checkpoint. It's a band. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, so we were doing everything we could to like keep people in line or let them know like, Hey, if you don't want to stand in line, you, you know, this polling location closes, you know, at, 7 p.m. or whatever um and so uh do y'all do any rides to the polls um a little bit but that's more for like commuter type schools uh so we'll you know like if uh texas a&m has a campus uh in down south san antonio and then we'll we'll shuttle people from palo alto over or vice versa ah, okay because they're so close yeah. um but for the most part we do site-based mobilization which is a polling location is put on a college campus most of the time because our advocacy folks fight for it and then we throw a giant party there with like a dj and food ah, okay. and that kind of stuff and it attracts a couple hundred students and then we like like go vote in that shuffle kind of them stuff. in yeah and so, um, so you know, uh, but when polls closed in Bear County, UTSA was was still had a thirty minute wait or so, but was was pretty close to ending. But in uh, Texas State, they had a three hour wait post the polls closing. And so I went up there with a couple of our organizers, and we like helped students. You know, like. Uh, we bought pizza, had drinks. They keep it open. Stuff. Is that yeah. the law that if you're in line, then you, you get have a vote? To, yeah. Okay. And so that polling location closed at 1130. Jeez. And so. <laughs> I'm sure those poor <laughs> workers were happy about that. Yeah. Okay. Y'all are also heavily involved in sort of the litigation and the legal fights that are revolving around, you know, online voter registration. Some of these, I mean, people like me think it's crazy. Why can't we register to vote online? But some of these new fights, um, Move actually is involved as a plaintiff or an amicus in some of these, basically a friend of the court saying, here's our position, or the actual plaintiff suing on these. Um, Talk to us about 
what y'all are hoping to accomplish through some of these uh, pieces of litigation that are moving through the courts right now? Yeah, we saw um, we saw the legal avenue as a as a new sort of tactic for us. Uh, we first deployed that I think in 2017 and uh, the SB4 case. So we are uh, still a plaintiff on that case uh, in uh, the Fifth Circuit right now. Um, and so that's that's under consideration and on hold. Um, but uh, but yeah, we saw we saw legal uh, litigation as like an opportunity for us to uplift the voices of young people into that space that they would normally not have been in. Um, and so we did that through, um, you know, being involved in like, we have three ongoing cases right now, uh, Stringer two, which is a case, um, on, uh, the DPS voter registration system. Uh, like you can walk into the DPS like, um, station to get your, uh, your driver's license and, uh, all, you know, that is the only type of truly online voter registration. Yeah, right. In the state, it, it's something know? strange like that. If you re- renew your license in the DMV, the law says you have to be able to register to vote at that time. Right. But if you renew your license on your home computer, it doesn't do it. Yeah. Even though the law says you have to be able to. So that's Correct. one of those fights. That's stringer too. Uh, Richardson is a, a vote by mail signature case um, right now. Uh, that's uh, that's under litigation. And then also we are uh, an intervener in the TDP case on vote by mail, uh, which was just uh, at least not stayed or upheld, uh, you know, while the appeals process happens in the 14th. The vote by mail case in which people are saying that fear of COVID is a disability, so that's I should be correct. able to vote by mail. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are are Is Drew Galloway the plaintiff in any of those, or is Move Texas? Nope, I represent the organization. So it's either Move Texas Civic Fund, which is our 501c3 entity, or Move Texas Action. Well, I didn't know if you sue the state of Texas, you sue Ken Paxton. So I didn't know if Move, when they file, actually, it's No, we do it from an organizational standpoint, but if if, the organization is, uh, like, called in for deposition or whatever, or representation, I do that, so... Huh. Part of my Have life. you been deposed yet? Yes. How'd you like it? Uh, I it was okay. It was was okay. he nice to you? Um, the I actually had um, a uh, uh, an attorney from the attorney general's office. She was very nice, um, and we it, it was long though. It was like six hours, but it was. She's it was just nice. she's just doing her job. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> you know, I, I was actually joking with somebody today. I never understand when defense lawyers act like it's their own money. I mean, sometimes they get so worked up about it. Um, so you've got the San Marcos success story where you can actually really put, um, numbers and wins to a movement. You have litigation in which y'all are, you know, y'all are actual movements in court seeking to change the way we do things in the state of Texas in a way that would benefit, honestly, everybody. I mean, I don't want to go vote and also die of COVID. I mean, like it's this, it's just this bizarre idea where, I don't think we should have to be, I don't think we should have to prove a disability to begin with. Then I don't think that this should even be a consideration of is the risk of COVID worth it? And you know, they just, they just did this in Wisconsin and there was a political game and they ended up losing that election. Yeah, totally. I mean, sweet justice. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things of like, we see any vote that's disenfranchised as a like problem for democracy. And so uh, we're going to push back on that at any point. Is your, is your organization uh, 
planning on staying focused on youth mobilization or is there a consideration or thoughts about moving into some of these other traditionally disenfranchised communities? No, we are a uh, organization that's focused on young, predominantly people of color, but young people. And almost all college educated, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, for the most part. We we have done more work recently in the last 12 months uh, with vocational schools or uh, sort of workforce spaces, that kind of thing, because we see that as like there are folks that are just not fortunate enough to or, or maybe just don't want to go to college and, and they would much And that's a way larger percentage of young people oh, than yeah. are in college. So totally. is there any groups or do you have any thoughts on how you – enfranchise and mobilize the classically disenfranchised, you know, communities of color along with the we don't vote young people. I mean, it's a that's a bad combo. Your organization is doing a great job. Are there organizations that are focusing on that sort of odd demographic of, you know, people that really aren't involved in the process? Yeah, there, there's a couple organizations in the state that are doing some, like, I think everybody's taking like a little bite of, uh, of like that pie, um, because there are, they all have to be messaged to differently. Um, so again, like if I was uh, going to, uh, like talk to like, even like over 50 year old voters, it, the, the it's your civic duty. Like now's the time for you to like represent your country type thing is the perfect messaging for them. For young people that actually is like that, you know, the correct messaging for young people is like, be a part of this group or be a part of this movement, or we need your voice now in this, you know? uh, So it's a much more collective stance versus an individual action. Do you have any independent thoughts on why vote or die didn't, you know, just didn't catch on and work? I don't know. Like (laughs) this is the, the when I interned in DC is when all that was kind of kicking in. And I just (laughs) always remember, I mean, I was fresh off the turnip truck and I just kind of remember thinking, does this work? I mean, like this is so, just absurd. Well, and young people, one of the things is that, uh, you know, they are hyper in tune to authenticity. So um, that's why, like, I think we're so successful is we put young people in charge of social media. Like, yeah. I don't I don't run the TikTok channel, you know, like that, you know. So lots of memes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, like, our most popular content and that kind of stuff is that's generated by our organizers or that kind of stuff. And so, um, and then they like just are in tune with that that being authentic and does it ever go too far and you're like oh hey uh, don't post that uh, yeah we have to like strike down some stuff every <laughs> once in a while you know. okay so um what you're doing is fantastic uh, you know we've given a little my firm and me have given a little to support it because i think it's great you need thank more you. involvement we need more people that are younger than me and you um voting because it just, it's like a lot of communities that just, you know, they either vote for things that are bad against them or they don't vote knowing that things are going to be passed that are bad for them. And the people that do vote, you know, those things are usually pretty good for them. A lot of times. You yeah. know, it's it's also like a really special organization too. Like I, you know, I think every nonprofit executive would say this, but like it is like this place, it is a political home for young people and specifically new voters of people that are new to politics. And so we have folks that like come through our fellowship program and then they leave um, and then they go like run campaigns or right. they will like show up in the state house or whatever. We have like this amazing alumni group of hundreds of people that have come through our program, you know, in San Antonio city hall, uh, out of the 11 offices, eight of them have moved alumni. Huh. 
So it's like we've built this like leadership pipeline um, that, you know, I think when f- most people think of move, they think of like voter registration, that kind of thing. But it's actually that like sort of like skills building, like the building of like a civic culture um, inside the organization that I think is like going to be the lasting like legacy for move. So is this is this the stop for you? Or are you going to run for office? No, I don't want to run for office <laughs> at all. Uh, so I don't know how much longer I'll be at move, you know, uh, yeah. I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it is one of those things of like, at you know, like I think move being a young, you know, organization, uh, it's imperative that we have like youth leaders and that kind of stuff. So I don't know what I'm going to do after this. I'm going to be very sad because I love move. And, uh, but um, until then I'm going to do my, my best to, register and turn out as many young voters as I can. Okay. Well, I hope y'all have more successes like, um, San Marcos and then we can talk about those. I mean, those are, those are fantastic ways to sell your story by having an actual, this is what was bad. This is what we did to fix it. And here was the success of fixing it. I mean, those are, those are the stories that resonate. Yeah, In 2018, we turned out 68% of the people we registered. That's like a solid 15 points higher than like the national, like youth organizing average. And if you don't talk to youth voters at all, they vote much, much, much lower. Yeah. So like we're obviously talking to them in the right way and that kind of stuff. And we and we've got stories like that. And even like we're new to Houston, but we've got stories of like how Al Gore crashed one of our parties at the polls like uh this last still in, alive in March. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and so yeah, he just uh, we found out the day before that he was gonna he was gonna come to one. And same way, uh, you know, we've had the same thing happen. Did he say I'm serial? <laughs> Uh, South Park is most of what's going on in my brain usually. (laughs) Okay, so I want to pivot a little bit. Um, You've also got interesting stories, and um, I want to talk to you about a couple of them. One of them was that after you got out of school, you wanted to get into the wine business. You went to Culinary Institute in Hyde Park? I did. I graduated high school, wanted to be a winemaker. There's not really many vineyards in uh, outside of Augusta, Georgia. No? And so, and so, uh, Blueberry so, wine yeah. or whatever thing? <laughs> uh, great cow and horse farms. Okay. But, uh, but yeah. Um, so I went to London. I studied there for about a year and a half. Uh, I worked uh, in a hotel off of Hyde Park, and I worked in a pub and that kind of stuff. And so I learned, like, sort of the, the wine spirits industry, and specifically – uh, like the the wine industry, came back, went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, learned how to cook, learned about wine, uh, and uh, left there, went to work for a small wine shop out, right outside of uh, Hyde Park um, near the college, and then um, then I jumped to Total Wine. Uh, loved my time at Total Wine, worked up and down the East Coast, sort of new market development as well, jumping from huh. sto- city to city, opening new stores, getting cool. it settled, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and then that's when I came to, to San Antonio with Specs. Um, uh, did you graduate from CIA? I did. So my understanding was there's like the cook route and then there's like the restaurant manager route. Is that correct? There's actually the, the two main routes are, uh, are cook or baker. And huh. then, uh, after that is the sort of like restaurant management or culinary management degree. And did you so, know either of the guys that are cured? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, Steve and Bob, the, the rep manager, both went there. Yeah, there's a great alumni network here. Is there? Jo- Johnny Hernandez. Like, it, it, I didn't know that. Johnny Hernandez, I think, is the head of the alumni, uh, like national alumni right now. I could be wrong about that, but he is definitely. He like, won't listen to this, yeah. so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is a big alumni for, from CI. Okay, uh, what got you into wine? 
Um, you know, it was one of my, th these things that like, I, uh, went to Europe for the first time when I was 15, my grandparents are German. Um, and so I went to like Spain, Germany, uh, France, and I was like, this is amazing. You know, I'm used to like farms, but that have like cows and chickens and this is like got vineyards and it's like incredible. And so I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Wine grows in the best weather and locations. There's yeah. not like ugly places that have vineyards. Well, and even like the ugliest soil is the best for wine. Yeah. So wine likes to be stressed out. Grapes like to be stressed out. And so like, you know, in like Pomerol in France, it's like literal rocks that you have to like plant these vines. Oh, it's so in. stressful in Napa in the hills. Yeah. And the fog rolling yeah, in. It's so yeah, stressful. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's a hard life. We don't need soil though. So yeah. what do we care? You know, but it's always great weather. You know, it's never too hot, never too cold. Yeah. You know, they're always surrounded by good food. Um, and so like as, uh, so was it the romanticism of it? Was it the taste of it? Did you mm, like to get a no, little buzz? Yeah, I, no, I think it was, it was just like, Hey, there's this like actual thing. There's this profession where I can learn how to taste this. And that has like literal, like, you know, millions of different types of, uh, of aromas and, uh, maturation and all that stuff. So like, I, this is like so complex. I was, I was a big nerd in high school. If that did not surprise you at all, um, <laughs> as a 14 year old bagpipe player in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, but it was one of those things of like, there's these complexities and every, re you know, like in France, were you wearing a suit when you were 14? I totally was <laughs> like, I totally was the kid in high school that wore the sports coat, the corduroy sports okay, coat with the yeah, patches. Uh -huh. That's me. All right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was one of those things that like, you know, in, in France you can like, this vineyard can give you a completely different wine than one that's half a mile down the road. The whole uh, left bank, east bank, or yeah, right bank thing. Exactly, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Like if it's on a hill, hill versus flat, or and you know, and so it's that was fascinating to me. Okay, it, what's your favorite wine movie? Mm, that's a good question. I like the documentaries better than I do the movie, like the fictional movies. Um, Which one? Psalm? Psalm probably is. You know, it had terrible reviews, but it was fantastic. I thought it was great. Yeah, I did yeah. too. Yeah. And so. Um, did you see the one about the uh, counterfeiting? Yeah, I did. It's crazy. I was actually in the business whenever like that happened in like the early. Did you know that guy? The I did not Asian know American that person. Guy? No, yeah. but I used to work at. Re so I did my internship at. CIA w at Restaurant Danielle, which holds the Zaxby's wine auctions. Oh, wow. So um, I worked in the kitchen and was learning how to cook and that kind of stuff. But it was one of those things to see like a $30,000 bottle of wine get sold was just like, I was like, I have to do this. Okay. So what was the, what are some of the one or two most rare bottles you've drank? Mm. That's a great question. Um, You've told me about 20 times today that I ask great questions, so you're really building me up. Uh, I appreciate this. Yeah, uh, You know, I'm glad I can make you feel good. <laughs> um, Domaine Romani Conti is one of the most expensive bottles I've ever had. Uh, that's what he was That's what he was counterfeiting a lot, DRC. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, it was mind-blowing. It changed every 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it was one of those wines that you drank like the entire night, and it just like changed, and uh, it would go from like – bright like raspberry like jam type uh like with spice to it to like earthy like raked leaves and it was like i can still remember it now um and so, so who were you with where were you how did you get your hands on that uh i was at a wine dinner with with like some very like rich friends uh and i was not rich but it, they were 
that I was lucky to hang it's out It's always with better that. to have rich friends yeah. that share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but we had great food. Uh, all the wines were great. Um, that just happened to be like this like crazy bottle that was really good. Um, and so, uh, but, and I loved a blind taste too. And so, you know, the second bottle that I would say is like not super rare and it's not super expensive. Um, but it's one of those wines that I was at a blind tasting and, um, I like picked up the glass, I smelled it, I took a, a small taste and I'm like, that is 1996 Bocayu. And I was like, I was like, I 100% know, like, I know that wine, I know that region, that's Bocayu. And they pulled the bag off of it and it was 96 Bocayu. Nice. So, so for me, that was like... So have you ever thought going to sit for the test or anything? Uh, I'm a level two. Oh, are so, you really? And okay. And so like, I would never sit level three. Level three is the the psalm, right? Yeah, that, okay. that's the master psalm. And uh, there's test. like twelve of them. Uh, yeah, I think there's probably like uh, 50. Six, sixty to yeah. hundred right <laughs> Something now. Something yeah. But yeah, like I mean, it's like years and years and years of dedicated experience. And you also have to learn cigars, right? Uh, yeah, and service and all that Beers, stuff. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and so so yeah, I didn't work on the restaurant side. I worked on the retail side. So I'm also okay. I'm also like a wine spirit education trust. So So where should normal people buy their wine? Uh, You've got like tons of great choices here in San Antonio. Um, So I'm obviously partial to Total Wine and to Specs. Okay, so what's the deal with Total Wine? Total Wine's got their like winery direct things, and I always feel like that's just a kind of you can find good stuff there. Like I used to, like I said, I used to work there, but there's some really great gems there as well. So, um, so yeah, it but it definitely is like you know like talk to the folks there. There's usually some really passionate, you know, I used to be a wine manager for them. So I would train. Are they getting, are they getting like uh, kickers if they sell winery direct wines? Um, I don't know if they do. I don't know if they just feels that way. They're always pushing these certain things on you that I've never heard of. And then the things you've heard of are never the ones that are included in the buy six, get 10% off Uh deal. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, it's one of those things of like, I think that you, you know, signed a non-disclosure agreement. Didn't you? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I think that like for a lot of the folks that work at both specs and, uh, total, like they like love wine. And so the part of it is, is that they, um, I, you know, I was telling you before you hop, hopped on, it's like my lunch at like specs would be like tasting through 10 rosés from Provence and whatever. And so it's like whenever you have somebody that comes up and says like, I want a rosé, you're like, oh my God, like I can think of 10 bottles right now. Yeah, but by the 10th one you're tasting, (laughs) I mean. Oh, well, and most of the time in the industry you spit. Okay. So so yeah. Um, And you're also a bagpipe player. And I don't know if I've ever met a bagpipe player. I'm I'm going through my brain Rolodex. I don't think I ever have. My association with bagpipe player, bagpipe players is kind of limited to funerals, I think, in my mm. own in my own mind. And also, I remember an old man telling me one time that the rudest thing anyone can do is play bagpipes indoors. I don't know why, but he told me that as like life advice. So, oh. how'd you get into bagpipes? Um, that's a great question. Uh, one, they're incredibly loud. So, like, that's the reason why you don't want to play them indoors. Or you want to, like, I, most, most bagpipe players wear earplugs, even really? if they play outside. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said the reason bagpipe players are always walking is to get away from the horrible noise. <laughs> uh, I looked up a bunch of bagpipe player jokes. I, I was going to say, to, pre- to prepare for this, yeah. yeah. Um, that was more interesting. Uh, yeah, so, like, um, they're... So I played bassoon and oboe in middle school and high school. Um, and um, 
And so both of those are double reed instruments. During the summer of my freshman year in high school, I was like, I want to pick up another double reed. And my choices were like contrabassoon or English horn or like, you know, things that. Are you having a stroke? Yeah. Yeah. And unless unless I'm going to like go like be a music major, like I'm not going to play professional contrabassoon with anybody, you know. And so uh, so I did some research, found bagpipes. I'm like, I'm going to teach myself bagpipes. And so I ordered. Uh, a practice channer, which is how you learn bagpipes, and then a book, and then I ordered a set of bagpipes uh, that were, like, not great quality bagpipes and that kind of thing. Uh, and so I taught myself over the summer. I learned all the basics, that kind of stuff. But um, the first time I tried to play my bagpipes when they came in, uh, they, they were not sealed properly and that kind of thing. They take a tremendous amount of air. It's a very, like, physical instrument. And... Uh, like, just to build it up, right, before it starts even going? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's one of those things of, like... It, and it takes a lot to just maintain it. So, like, you can... So, it's a, it's a stamina instrument. Yeah. The more you play, the better you get at it. But, um, but yeah, um, but I passed out in my front yard. And so, like, my grandma, like, <laughs> ran out to get me and stuff. And so, but I hung in there I found a teacher in Atlanta uh, I joined a pipe band in Augusta and so slowly I got really good um, I was a pipe sergeant of a pipe band in Augusta by the time I was you know 16 17 and um, and I was competing at that point and everything and then when I went to London I played a little bit in London came back uh, and then sort of like and culinary school set them down and just like in the last like three or four years picked them back up and that kind of stuff but now I play like very competitively, uh, you know, across the United States. Is there a pipe band in San Antonio? There's a couple, actually. Are you part of one? I am, yes. What's uh, the name of Alamo it? Alamo City Pipes and Drums. Uh, oh, yeah. I figured it'd be like more, I don't know, Kel- like, Celtish? Uh, you know, like Scottish? Yeah, it works. Do That's you have a, a kilt? I, I have multiple kilts. So I have a pipe band kilt. I have a, like my family kilt. And, uh, and then I, so that's usually what, if I play solos, I wear my family kilt. And then if I play in the pipe band, what, what is a family kilt? Uh, well, tartan is the actual like term for it. So tartan is, uh, like, uh, basically cloth that symbolizes a family. It's basically the first like sort of protest cloth, uh, because it was banned by the English. Um, so it's not your specific family. It's the Galloway tartan, yep. Oh, okay. And so, so yeah. And so, so you are Scottish. Yeah, my great 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 grandfather. Okay. Came from Scotland. Do any other cultures play the? the, the I mean, yeah. culturally play it. Um, yeah, it, there's extremely popular in uh, like uh, like Breton, Brittany, France. Uh, they're very popular in. Uh, Canada mainly because of the Scottish influence there. Wales the, or Ireland? Uh, different types of pipes. So the Illin okay. pipes are in Ireland. It, uh, so if you think of like the Titanic <clears throat> bagpipes, like that's from the Titanic movie, that's yeah. those are Irish pipes, Illin pipes. Can you play those? No, those are extremely difficult. Really? Yeah, even more difficult than, yeah. So uh, I read somewhere that it's the hardest uh, instrument to learn. It's probably, yes, uh, mainly because there's no way to stop the air flow so even on the illin pipes like so if i'm playing i can push it on my my knee and stop the the air from flowing um but like once you start playing bagpipes you can't stop that's why there's the constant yeah so you've got the three drones playing steady note and then the channer which is the part you you actually make the melody on uh has to like plays as well and so um so yeah and then there's no way to stop the air so you have to like add very small notes in between the notes which are called 
grace notes. And then there's like series of small group notes called embellishments that are put together. Huh. And so it's, uh, yeah, they say the average time is seven years to make a like, uh, sort of like, you know, high level piper. Huh. Uh, do you think it'd be harder to learn that than a giant harp? Cause mm. those always look pretty impossible. Yeah. I, I would say that like the stamina part with bagpipes is different than most instruments. So like I could sit down and play flute or clarinet or whatever, but uh, like you can physically just not be able, like it takes you time <laughs> to build up to bagpipes. So, uh, so what is sort of the next play with the bagpipes? Just keep competing? Mm, yeah, I just want to keep, um, so like right now, like normally I would be like, uh, like traveling to the East coast quite a bit on the weekends and that kind of stuff. Um, but, but everything shut down because oh, you're of, traveling to compete. Yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. And, um, so a lot of it right now is online competition. So I placed fourth in two competitions at the world's level. You know, you say that on your Facebook, but you don't have videos of it up. No. Mm -hmm. So you're going to share one of those videos? One of these days I will. Yeah. So maybe, maybe with us, it can roll out with this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is sort of, what is the plan for move in terms of battling COVID? How can listeners help? Um, and what are you hoping changes as a result of this pandemic? And, you know, we're going to, we're redefining what it means to do everything now. So what are you hoping comes out of this? Yeah, I think that COVID has taught us, like, we knew that there were like fractures in democracy, uh, especially here in Texas. You know, I don't think that most people don't realize that Texas is one of the hardest, if not the hardest, most difficult states to register to vote in the entire nation. Um, if I want to register you to vote, I have to go get a, take a class in the county I live in. And that class is only given that. like once or twice a month on the same day. And so if I'm out of town that day or I'm at work, I can't take the class, so I can't register people to vote. But once I get deputized, then I have to follow all these rules and everything is in, is in hand and I have to go drop it back off. Jeez. So like, you know, so it, when we say that we registered 55 to 60,000 people in the last two years, like that is a big deal. And that's predominantly because that is every conversation is a two to four minute interaction. With plus everybody had to get deputized. Yeah. Plus you have to, you know, like we have organizers that are deputized in 15 counties. <laughs> oh, by county. I forget yeah. you said that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to each individual yeah. county. And, um, and so, you know, it's easier for me to get on a plane or used to be a pre COVID to easier to get, get on a plane, fly to Denver, get off, register people to vote in Denver than it is to go to Guadalupe County and register people. That's to vote. so bizarre. And so, so yeah, so I think that, um, COVID is showing all of these like sort of fractures, um, in the, in the system from voter registration because voter registration rates have fallen statewide, yeah. um, to, you know, the need for like, um, you know, vote by mail for all voters, um, to, you know, uh, increased, like polling locations and uh, we need to get more young people involved in poll as poll workers. Most poll workers are over the age of 55 mm -hmm. um, and very white and very old. Yeah. And it's kind of, the yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like, how do we get more young people involved? One of the ways that we did that is we like uh, pushed Bear County, Harris County and Dallas County to increase the amount that they were paying their poll workers. So from $9, Bear County went from $9 or $10 an hour to $17. An I hour. didn't know they were paid. Yeah. Okay. And so if you work, uh, and high schoolers can get, can get out of high school to go work at the, is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we're doing is like, you know, 
encouraging high schoolers to sign up for that and encouraging college students to sign yeah, up. 17 bucks an hour is a lot of money. Yeah. Especially, you know, it's only, it's only two weeks maybe, or it's only election day, but still that's like, you know, that that's maybe will cover some of your books in college yeah. or something like that. Um, how can people learn more about move and how can people learn more about what move is doing on sort of an ongoing basis? Yeah. Uh, the easiest way is to follow us. Um, our website is movetexas.org, all spelled out. And then uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok um, at Move Texas. All the handles are at Move Texas? Yeah. Well, Drew, uh, thank you for coming. Justin, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for doing this. You're um, going to give me a video of bagpipes for our website, I, right? I, I need I need that it factor to draw people in, and okay, I great. feel like that's it. That, that's it. Maybe that's you it. You should have came so. into the office playing and would have scared the <laughs> hell out of everybody. <laughs> All right, that about does it for this episode. Uh, thanks, Drew, for coming on. Thanks for telling us more about Move Texas. I knew generally what it was. I really didn't have any understanding of the scope and breadth of what y'all are doing. I think it's great. So thank you for doing what you do. It helps us all. So thank you for coming on. Um, after y'all have another big win or another big election, it'd be great to get you back on and see sort of how that budget moved, how many people have been registered. So we'll keep the conversation going. Sounds great. Um, join us on our next episode. Um, we're going to have... Next week, the guy from Alamo Brewing is planning on coming on. Um, Mr. Cooper from the San Antonio Food Bank is coming on next week, as well as uh, CEO of one of our publicly traded companies here in town, uh, Ryan Pape, who's with Expel, is coming on as well. Those will get trickled out over the next few weeks. Guest wish list continues. Top three are going to keep going until one of them comes on. Uh, Coach Pop, you're probably never coming off the list. I'll have to just do an emeritus list. Uh, Shea Serrano, Patty Mills, all the great things you're doing and your love for our city. Uh, if you know any of them, help us out. We'd love to get them on. So thanks for being here and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, viva San Antonio.